So one area that we're looking at is whether or not we can detect these diseases earlier and earlier through voice. So we know that speech changes occur uh, across the lifespan of a disease. Speech is obviously an attractive tool to study because most people have got a mobile phone in their pocket capable of yeah. recording speech. It's a scalable way of monitoring health um, and I think that would then go a long way in making this sort of screening or uh, testing available to many more people and not just people sort of living in well-resourced areas or that have access to regular healthcare. Hi there everyone, I'm Bruce Harvey and I'm a partner in the corporate team at CMS Scotland and in today's episode I'm delighted to be speaking to Alice Smith. Alice is the chief exec of Speak Unique which I'm delighted to say is also one of our CMS Scotland equipped members and Speak Unique develops voice banking technology that allows people to create a personalised synthetic voice for use in communication aids, meaning that people can retain their identity and communicate in a voice that sounds like their own, even when natural speech is not possible. Today, we're going to be discussing the role of medical technology in helping patients to live a more comforting lifestyle and the journey that Speak Unique has been on to get to where it is today. So, Alice, uh, welcome. Delighted to have you. Thank you, Bruce. Really excited to be here. Uh, so. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the inevitable kickoff question. Uh, tell me about Speak Unique. So, yeah, so Speak Unique is a University of Edinburgh spin out company. And as you said, we develop voice banking technology that allows people who are at risk of losing their voice to a disease like motor neuron disease or the result of a stroke or uh, head and neck cancer to record their voice before they lose it and then use that recording to create a digital version of their voice. Um, which means that they can keep communicating in a voice that sounds like them, even when natural speech is not possible. So this, the idea here is that it replaces the technology that Professor Stephen Hawking made so famous, where he had that really robotic, generic, synthetic voice in his form of communication. Um, so we're based out in Edinburgh, as you said, and we're now sort of a team of 11, uh, primarily speech scientists working to develop the speech technology. But we've also got expertise in app development and web development, um, and then also in speech and language therapy, uh, given that we're working with people that often live with sort of complex communication needs. Um, so, yeah, we've been around for a four years, five years now. Um, so it's been really exciting to sort of uh, get the technology out in the market. And now we're looking at so how else we can uh, harness the sort of speech technology in the healthcare sphere. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, we've um, obviously been working together for uh, for a few years now and uh, looking at um, speaking itself and, and your role. Uh, how did the um, the business come about? You You mentioned a little bit about it um, a moment ago and perhaps um, a bit about, you could tell us a bit about the background and uh, what you see as the overall mission. It's a University of Edinburgh spin-out company. So specifically it started as a research project within the UN MacDonald Centre for Motor Neuron Disease. Um, and this is a research centre based out of the Royal Infirmary in Edinburgh, looking to ultimately find kind of cure and treatment for people living with motor neuron disease. And it was founded by uh, Ewan MacDonald and his father, Donald, um, when Ewan was diagnosed with MND when he was 29. Um, and so acknowledging that I think 80% of people living with MND will go on to lose the ability to speak. The idea of this specific project, which is now Speak Unique, was trying to develop technology that could capture someone's voice um, and then allow this to kind of be used in communication. So the first 10 years or so was really research focused. It was really looking at, is this possible? Is the technology available? And if we can create the technology, do people actually want it? 
Um, and I got involved sort of towards the end of that research um, phase where we'd been lucky enough to receive a grant from Scottish government um, to sort of pilot and test the technology in the real world. So we went out to people's homes and sort of gave them in their personalised voice and then interviewed them and their family to see what the impact was. Um, and the overwhelming feedback was this was something really positive. Um, it wasn't just applicable to motor neuron disease. There was lots of conditions that affect speech that um, this technology could help. Um, and it did have a sort of a profoundly positive impact on people. But we also realised that this wasn't something we could then run as a research project if we wanted it to have maximum impact. So we made the decision to look at what would forming a company um, be and how would we go about doing that? Um, and so in 2019, we spun that out as a sort of separate spin-out company. Um, and then sort of mid-COVID pandemic um, in 2020, we launched our first few products, which is a very interesting time to launch for business. It had- um, Peak timing. Of, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, one benefit is our travel budget was drastically saved. Um, and so there was lots of Zooms and webinars um, and allowed us to kind of, I guess, reach people that maybe we would have previously had to travel to yeah. um, in those first few months. Um, but yeah, the, the mission is really simple. I think it's to bring world leading exciting technology, especially in artificial intelligence, machine learning, but to a healthcare sphere. You know, lots of people are familiar with synthetic voices because there's one on their phone or their sat nav or yeah. now in their video games and then in so many other applications. But it's rare that the time is given to deliver it into something like this um, sector is what we found. So we really want to continue to push those advances um, within the the market that we're working in where we see it's got real human sort of benefit it's not just the sort of really big tech commercial aim yeah and um how has speakinik evolved since it was established um and um yeah you've obviously been on um quite quite a journey as an organization um it would be great if you could tell us uh, a little bit a little bit about that so it's definitely evolved but i think definitely still at its core we're aiming to do the same thing. We still have you and in, very involved kind of making sure we stay true yeah. to that vision, which is really fantastic. Spinning the company out of the university, I kind of became exposed to this really rich ecosystem of spin outs and startups within Scotland. Um, I was previously unaware of kind of the extent of support that is available. So there's challenges like the Converge Challenge, um, the Royal Society of Edinburgh had an enterprise fellowship, there's Scottish um, Scottish Enterprise and then sort of Innovate UK wider in the UK uh, sphere, really looking at helping startups and spin outs. Um, so that was really part of it, a key part of our journey of trying to understand how do you actually take university research and make this into a commercial company. There's a definitely a big difference between technology, which is deemed to be university or publication ready, and then technology that you can sell or deliver to customers. So I think that was yeah. probably our first challenge. Um, <laughs> And mainly the most, uh, many of the sort of founding team did come out of the university. There was definitely a mindset shift from university research to commercial product, um, but then also not putting pressure on ourselves to launch with something that was perfect, because obviously as soon as you launch something, you become aware of all the things you hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Um, so that was a really sort of interesting for the first 18 months. Um, and we then really benefited from working with large organizations. So we did a project with Dell and Intel and Rolls-Royce. Um, it was in this sort of sphere with the Motor Neuron Disease Association. So looking at um, how we could further improve the technology and the user experience. But that was a really great opportunity for what had previously been a very small sort of insular Scottish team to work with some of these big organizations. Um, and 
that then ended up sort of leading to future opportunities. We worked on our first non-healthcare application last year. We did a personalised advert, which um, was a very interesting experience, a very yeah. different scale, a very different rate um, yeah. of working. Um, so I think we've kind of gone through phases and we're now at a nice point where we've got a big enough team where there's a bit of redundancy and everyone's sort of a bit more comfortable that they've got um, someone else around. We've sort of definitely had the bootstrap startup vibes for a little bit, um, but we're still sort of agile enough that there's lots of exciting things for people to get involved in and lots of new angles that we've got the opportunity to make the most of if those sort of opportunities present to us. Yeah, and I guess with a with a bigger team, you can, you can bounce ideas off each other. You can... Uh, uh, sometimes uh, delegate to people, <laughs> delegate, yeah, exactly. up, delegate upwards <laughs> as well, <laughs> as downwards, uh, which is, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, uh, super, super helpful sometimes. Um, and so uh, clearly the uh, government, both the UK and the Scottish governments, um, have got a big role to play in uh, the nation's uh, health. And there's been a lot of discussion about um, how we need to move to more of an illness prevention society rather than looking to cure people after they've uh, become sick. Um, what are your uh, thoughts on that, I guess, both from, uh, from a personal perspective and, and from, a, from a business perspective, with, uh, from a Speak Unique perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think illness prevention is definitely sort of the way forward. It's the ideal situation to be in and sort of understanding what leads to these illnesses and how we can course correct when possible is a very attractive sort of approach. In the area we're working often in with neurodegenerative diseases, one of the big challenges is often when you come to present with your symptoms, you're not trying to just sort of treat or stop the disease. You'd really want to reverse damage that's happened. So any of this sort of degeneration, um, and that's obviously a massive challenge and not something that's currently um available really widely. Um, so one area that we're looking at is whether or not we can detect these diseases earlier and earlier through voice. So we know that speech changes occur uh, across the lifespan of a disease. So lots of people will have progressive changes to their speech, but also this occurs across many neurodegenerative diseases and dementias. So motor neuron disease, Parkinson's, Huntington's disease, for example. Um, and so we've just started a new collaborative project with the University of Edinburgh, looking to recruit people living with these conditions where we can monitor their speech and um, try and find a quantitative way of understanding what changes happen in these diseases. When do they happen? And ultimately, is this happening prior to what's detectable by the human ear? So can a, could a system sort of automatically scan your voice and start to understand um, that you may be at risk of or developing one of these conditions before you would otherwise know. And I mean, obviously, that's the ultimate aim and that's yeah. a way to go for that. Um, but speech is obviously an attractive tool to study because, um, you know, as we're doing now, we're sort of not in the same place. We're speaking, can hear each other. You know, everyone's most people have got a mobile phone in their pocket capable of yeah. recording speech. So it's something cheap. It's non-invasive. It's a scalable way of monitoring health. Um, and I think that would then go a long way in um, making this sort of screening or uh, testing available to many more people and not just people sort of living in well-resourced areas or that have access to um you know regular healthcare yeah uh, and i guess also um if you're looking at it from a degenerative uh, voice um perspective then um being able to record and and send that recording to your doctors or a research project or whatever is is a is a starting point that probably hasn't been looked at hugely in huge amounts of detail in the, certainly in the past yeah i think it's something we probably underestimated but when we um sort of offered our voice banking services to people at 
their own home, the relief that they didn't have to travel to another appointment and saying yeah. actually finding often finding the doctor can be the first challenge in terms of, you know, there's so many different directions and car park, you know, all those sort of really um, administrative things that, that that just add a burden when you're already living with a condition like this. So um, anything that can be done at home is really an attractive, um, attractive tool for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you've obviously had some uh, brilliant support along the way um, and some fantastic opportunities um, uh, have come your way. Um, could you tell us um, uh, a little bit about them, one in one in particular, that, uh, and and how that how that came about, and um, uh, yeah, what what you learned from from that experience. I'll let you do the reveal. <laughs> yeah, so this um, new project that uh, just saying we started working on, we've been lucky enough to receive some sort of funding through a new initiative, which is called a Nuri Initiative, and it's been funded in collaboration between LifeArc, which is a medical research charity, Isai, a pharmaceutical company. Um, and it's got involvement with Health Data Research UK, the University of Edinburgh, and then also Gates Ventures, which is the private office of Bill Gates. Um, and this is an initiative that's looking to provide a mechanism to translate research into practical solutions and specifically focusing around data and digital tools. So it's nicely where our sort of speech um, acoustic biomarker fits into it. So it was about this time last year, I got a call to say that we had the opportunity to present this project to Bill Gates as he was in the UK. So it was an absolutely amazing opportunity. Um, and it was kind of making him aware widely of the Nuri Initiative as it was kind of Gates Ventures was one of the funders um, and then specifically also this project. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest takeaway from that meeting was Bill Gates's focus is very global and very scalable and um, very applicable to the whole world. Yeah. Um, so, I hope, I think, he was um, very interested in our sort of speech, um, our speech angle and specifically an angle we have around trying to make it agnostic to language. So we're not focusing just on English, we're focusing on um, on voice generally. Um, probably the biggest takeaway I had was he was incredibly engaged and incredibly knowledgeable. You know, he spoke at length about many different projects that he's working on, many areas that he's interested in. Um, but his real sort of mission is he doesn't really mind who solves the problem he just wants the problem to be solved um, yeah. so specifically in sort of alzheimer's dementia space um you know he knows that other people are doing it he's aware of exactly what's going on and it's like well why aren't we all kind of collaborating and working together um to get there which i thought was a very um refreshing angle to have yeah when often you kind of get bogged down into the commercial terms of something like that and actually i guess this initiative is more looking at how can we harness big data and how can we um do this to drive forward the greater good yeah and uh yeah i think i think you said to me you had a, a, a super short period of time to prepare for that, <laughs> for that <laughs> presentation i don't know if there is uh, enough, so, enough time to prepare for that especially well, that was what i was about to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I would clarify my background is not in computer science. So when being told you have to present computer science to Bill Gates, there is definitely um, spent a lot of time with our CTO asking all the stupid questions and writing Quick down. Quick right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think similar to how you cram for an exam, if you asked me to explain it now, I'd probably not do a very good job. But sort of, it was retained for that hour and a half um, period of time with um, with Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, there's obviously a, a lot of information uh, out there and uh, one of the things that we've been discussing um, at CMS is how to harness, um, interpret and use that data for future purposes. Um, and data is obviously a critical part of your, your business. Um, you, you talked about AI and um, machine learning earlier. What are your thoughts on um, 
I guess where harnessing that data might lead uh, in terms of increasingly personalized medicines and, and um, I guess generally improving patient outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I think I would say our, one of our biggest interactions with CMS is on data. Um, we do collect a lot of data and we use a lot of data, but we also want to make sure we're doing that in a sort of ethical and transparent way, which I think is an interesting angle, especially in AI and machine learning. You know, it seems to be there's not a huge amount out there about best practices yet, and that's all sort of coming through. So it's definitely an interesting field to be working in and trying to understand how we can make the most of big data and how we can, uh, especially in our case, use that for what we hope is the, the good of patient outcomes, but also doing that in a way that um, people are understanding and clear of and are able to consent or um, or opt out of. I mean, I think if you think about how much data your phone, for example, is collecting about you and how personalized those advertising and your sort of phone experience can be, I guess that's what we want to push forward for um, healthcare outcomes. So how can we use readily available technology like your phone um, to get information that will help us understand a picture of someone's health? Um, so augmenting information about your voice with um, your sleep data or your step data or um, if you have a fall, for example. Um, so that's a really interesting area for us at the moment is trying to understand how we can tap into the data that's already being collected routinely, not necessarily in a healthcare way, but apply that to a healthcare um, outcome. Yeah, and I think you, you look at it from, um, say, some of the, uh, the big tech companies and, and wearable devices and, and things like that, and you can see how um, the, there's a huge amount of data that's already out there that's being collected, and that's how, how best to best to put that to use in in as you say in an ethical ethical manner definitely and i think i mean our experience from speaking to people living with lots of these conditions is that they are all for that you know that they want to push forward um these advances as much as possible so where we can link up with other research studies that are collecting other pieces of information and link those all together um that's everyone's preference and i think the benefit of working in scotland is that there is a very uh linked sort of store of data and so um understanding how we can make the most of that and also bringing in experts in machine learning you know we don't often get the opportunity to have both clinicians and the data scientists sort of in the same team working together yeah and so we've also been having lots of discussions of how do you make sense of these numbers how do you make that a clinically relevant score rather than just saying to a doctor okay we're going to tell you this piece of information um kind of explaining how we got there and sort of giving some yeah. credibility to what the ai and machine learning is spitting out is also something that's very interesting to us yeah ab absolutely it's, it's about the, the data and how, how are we going to how are we going to use it and uh, it could be okay, clearly used in many different ways but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's clearly um yeah har harnessing it in the in the best way is is uh i was gonna say the challenge it's not it's not a challenge it's the uh the opportunity it's the opportunity <laughs> yeah, total opposite of what i just said <laughs> um so uh moving on what What's on your agenda at the moment and, and what's what's next? Well, I think this is what's next. I guess this is the sort of step away from our current uh, voice banking technology is this uh, acoustic data um, and understanding acoustic biomarkers. I think that will be a long term study for us. I think it will hopefully lead to um, sort of follow on work and collaborations and sort of trying to get this out as, as widely as possible um, for it to have real impact. We want to sort of capture people's voices as early as possible and sort of monitor a longitudinal study. Um, but in addition to that, I think we are still keen um, and 
motivated to stay with our original ethos around providing sort of voice banking technology to people who lose the ability to speak. Um, so at the moment, we're very UK focused or English speaking focused. So our next sort of uh, challenge is moving internationally and then adding other languages, not just making this available in English, but also looking at sort of under-resourced languages and trying to um, improve the access so it's not just um, for the minority, but we can try and get um, sort of the uh, secondary languages spoken in the UK, um, yeah. Urdu and Hindi and Bengali also included in the offering, which is currently not available. Um, but then also we're um, working mainly with adults at the moment, but there's many children who live with communication difficulties as well. Um, and so these children will have always relied on a very generic voice that doesn't reflect their friends and family. So we want yeah. to sort of develop the technology further to capture a child's voice. And ultimately, you know, can you give a child a voice at six that then lives with them through their um, their life and kind of ages with them and sort of sounds like their friends and family? I guess ultimately it goes to um, making it as accessible as possible from both a, um, from an age perspective and a um, and a language perspective. Exactly. Yes. Definitely. I guess we're uh, reaching reaching the end of the uh, podcast now, and just as we come into the um, conclusions, as part of our uh, CMS Equip Leaders Initiative, um, we're encouraging everyone to commit to one positive action, um, big or small, uh, to support unrepresented founders uh, this year. Uh, what positive actions um, will you take to support the startup community um, in Scotland and beyond? You obviously mentioned the huge support um, for, from the startup community within Scotland. Um, so yeah, interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, definitely, as I say, the startup community was very very generous to me um i benefited hugely from people sort of sitting with me and answering probably what were the very stupid questions of how do how do we start this and, um, <laughs> and where do we go and yeah. um and so i think my commitment is always to try and repay that back to anyone that's interested so um within the university if there's anyone that's ever sort of thinking about commercializing research or thinking about doing something similar or likewise as sort of startups trying to um offer my experience and in, in case that's yeah. helped anyone and also signposting people to the wonderful resources that are available um so yes this is a like converge challenge scottish enterprise the royal society of edinburgh um, they're all very generous in their support um and sort of making people aware that 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 is out there um and it's run by people with you know really great experience who are sharing much um much wider experience than i'm able to offer yeah, uh, sh sharing personal experiences. Um, I, I think certainly in, in from my perspective, uh, a, a lot of the time when you speak to people, they've um, they've been in y your position many years ago, and it's sort of uh, imparting their own um, their own views and and their own their own advice. And I think um, yeah, certainly from my perspective, I think the uh, Scottish um, ecosystem is. Uh, is really really supportive and, and does a great job of um, of supporting each other. So, um, thank you very much, uh, Alice, for uh, for the podcast today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, it, I've uh, thoroughly uh, enjoyed our conversation um, and hearing uh, about Speak Unique and the and the journey that you've been on. And um, to uh, everyone that's listening, if you'd like to find out more uh, information on Speak Unique, uh, you can find out more on their website, which is uh, www.speakunique.co.uk. And if you'd like to hear more about CMS's startup program, Equip, or the Lead Hers initiative, uh, you can go to the startup section of our website, 
cms.law, nice and easy. Uh, and all that remains is for me to say thank you very much, Alice. Uh, and yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Bruce. Thank you.